Hi, and welcome to Fashion Talks, the podcast about observing the world through the lens of fashion. I'm your host, Donna Bishop, and I am here with the amazing Julia Grieve. How are you today? I am wonderful. Thank you so much. Julia is the founder of the fashion brand Preloved. You are Canada's accidental environmentalist. We're going to talk about all those things. But first, I want to take a step back. Tell me a little bit about where you grew up, what kind of kids you were. Um, well, I grew up in Toronto. I actually grew up in Scarborough. I am the middle child. I have two sisters, uh, older sister, younger sister, obviously. Uh, my parents are both educators, retired, both now retired um, high school principals. Um, and what kind of kid was I? I definitely, um, I was not shy. Actually, I remember, significantly remember always wanting to be shy. I always thought it was so nice. These girls were so quiet and everything, and I remember trying to be shy. Yeah. Didn't work out that Didn't way. Didn't work out for me. When you think back to those, those like early childhood days, is there an outfit that you envision yourself in that you recall wearing? Did you love wearing pants? Did you like wearing tutus? What kind of style did you have when you were a kid? Our big thing was, I remember like when I was really young, it was, you know, my mom was working full time with the girls, so we always had to put our outfits out the night before. So it would always, you know, she'd run to Jane's room, easy, come to Janet's room, fine, come to my room, crazy. Just like clothes everywhere, everything. And then finally, you know, we'd, and then it would fight in the morning because, of course, I've changed my mind now. So As you do. As you do. But no, not my sisters. Everybody's put on. So then we came up with the rule that it would be four outfits. I could lay out four the night before, and I had to choose one from that four. Can you dramatic. imagine, like, can you imagine, like, <laughs> my mom would go through this every night with me, every night. So, yeah, that was... And did that extend up into your teenage years as well? Yes, we didn't have to lay them out the night before, but definitely, for sure, always, you know, wanting to put together outfits, different outfits. I had at a really young age, though, a love of vintage clothing, right away, right away. I always loved... Was that from being around, you know, grandparents and lots Absolutely. of family? How yeah. did my that mom foster? used to go up to my grandma's house, which is in Uxbridge, and she had this big attic, and we'd go up and play in all the clothes, which my mom had two sisters, and so we'd have all their sort of 1950s prom dresses. Everything was saved there. Um, my grandma had been to uh, Paris in the 30s, so she had had dresses from there. And so I had just always, at a really young age, had a love of vintage clothing and what the history of that garment was. Even more than actually what the garment looked like, but he'd be like, who wore this? Where did they go? What, what was it like then? So I always had a, like an interest in- The storytelling. The storytelling of what clothing could do. And was that something you would think about as you would get dressed yourself? Absolutely. Tell me more about that. Absolutely. Just, you know, always wanting to add more to the, to the, to the outfit and more to the story and sort of, sort of, you know, once I discovered, I guess I was in high school when you just sort of figured out thrift shops or, you know, black market where you just go shopping, right? And once you could, once I started actually purchasing vintage pieces to go to my wardrobe is when I would say like fashion really started making sense to me. And do you ever, do you have a moment where you kind of realize like clearly you have a love of fashion? Did you, did you have a moment where you went, I get it. Fashion is more than just the clothes I put on. Like it is, was it an energy? Was it power? Like what did, what did fashion mean to you when you were putting together these storytelling outfits? Well, I think for me probably was, probably I'm gonna say it's probably more my, maybe my prom dress because again, that was when I started the idea of, that, that young, that idea of redesigning. That I loved all the vintage clothing and I loved all the old dresses of my moms and my aunts. 
but I knew they had to be different. They had to be altered to fit me and for what I wanted to wear and to be more current and things like that. So I started to, you know, you know, what the big joke is, Donna, that I actually don't know how to sew. <laughs> okay, well, that's 25 years I've run a fashion company and I don't know how to sew. But I, I could sort of see what I wanted it to look like and have a vision. And so I think that would sort of be the outfit would have been my sort of prom dress that I wore, like in grade, in grade 12. And after high school, did the fashion world continue to be something that you lived in? Oh, yeah, that was, but on the other side of it, I was a model. That was my, um, that was my first job, supermodel of the world. Yeah. Tell me about that. Yeah, big in Japan, huge in Turkey. I was like kind of queen, I was always laughing, I'm like queen of the sea markets. It doesn't take you very long to live in Paris before you realize that you're not Cindy Crawford, and you're like, oh my God, but I could do a shoe show in Vienna. And but make it must money. have been such an amazing way to see the world, like still part of the industry that you loved. Like you're still steeped in it, right? Yeah, it was amazing. It was so, so much fun, and it was great. And I was um, young. I mean, I had the opportunity to go when I was much younger, when I was like 16, to go to Paris. I was actually was Milan at that time. And my mom and dad were like, yeah, no, you're not going. I'm like, whoa, 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 what do you mean I'm not going? They're like, oh no, you're a camp counselor this summer. No, no, I don't want to be a camp counselor. I'm done, I, I, want, to go to, I want to go to Milan. And so then my parents and I, we came up with an arrangement and that would be that I'd have to get through high school, you know, four years instead of five. I'd have to have, you know, be an Ontario scholar, get into these universities. And then once that's all done, I'm allowed to take one year and go to Europe and do, try this modeling thing. And did it last longer than Much one year? Longer. I came back and I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna go. I got a contract to Japan, I gotta do that. And so it was probably about the third time that I deferred at you know, Western here on college, went back again and said, yeah, I'm not gonna come, I'm gonna come next year. My mom's like, you're not going. I'm like, no. So tell me about what happened between this life as a model, you're clearly passionate about clothing, and how you came to start Preloved in 1995. Um, as, as glamorous and as fun as modeling is, it's, it is a job. And like I said, you know, there's the level, you know, I'm like, how many more track suits am I gonna be wearing for a German catalog? Um, <laughs> I was living in Miami at the time. It was great, it was great money. Um, but I think the passion for me had changed in the industry. When initially, when I would get a job, it would be like, oh my gosh, where am I going? Oh, who's doing the makeup? Oh, who's styling? Oh, who's shooting it? And then by the end, it was how much? Yeah, no, how much? No, not doing it, how much? And so I was getting, even at that young age, I was getting like bitter about it. So I just knew something needed to change. And I'm also super close with my family, really close with my mom and dad and my sisters. So I just wanted to be home and try and do something that I could have control over. As a model, you can only look the way you look. And if that's not what they're looking for, you, you can't do anything. But if you can you know, get into business, if you work hard, you'll be surprised how many doors you can open. But not in an industry that's based completely on how you look. You can't change the way you look. Was Preloved your first entrepreneurial endeavor? Yes. And the spirit of Preloved, for people who aren't familiar with the brand, and this is before any kind of sustainable fashion or the environmentalism around fashion had even like crept into the public consciousness. You started a fashion label re with recycled vintage clothes, taking apart various garments and putting them together as new garments. How did this come to you? 
You know what? It was just sort of like all through stepping stones, almost as I always say, by accident. Um, I loved vintage clothing. I wanted to open a vintage clothing store. That was the initial idea. And then we started to source and where we're going to find the fabrics and things like that. And it was just, you know, as I always say, pardon the pun, it was a very dirty business. It was very difficult to get a hold. You don't just get a hold of like Levi's, vintage Levi's, right? It's not easy. So we'd find places, but then they would say, oh yeah, no, sorry, you're not allowed to buy those. Those are pre-sold to somebody else. And this, and they'd say, well, you can have that over there. I'm like, all those prom dresses that are so ugly. So we were only able to get a hold of stuff that wasn't sellable as is. So we started to cut it up and make things out of it and be able to sell it. Like things like wool sweaters. They're great, but you have to change them if we're gonna sell it. What were some of the first garments that Prelove started making? These little mini skirts out of these like saffron prom dresses, like, you know, 1980s prom dresses, and we cut them up and made little mini skirts. I totally remember that. And the bigger the fabric, the dresses we could get more out of. That was one of the first things that we did. Um, sort of 70s polyester pull-on pants, and we took them all in the leg and up through the, up through the crotch, like all around in the inseams, so they'd be tight, tight, tight pants. Worked on those. No, it was and fun. were you doing this out of a studio or out of your home? Or Initially, it was all out of the home, and then we finally got a location on Queen Street West in Toronto, um, and then we opened it up in the back. And at that point, I actually lived in the back of the store, and then was bartending as well. Because I think once I started the store, I really wanted to, you know, be taken seriously, and not be modeling and not being traveling and stuff. So we'd sort of given up modeling and were focusing on running a business. What was the reaction to Preloved when you started the line? Oh, it was, no, it was definitely not the way it is today. And that's what I can tell so much what has changed in 25 years. <laughs> Even saying that makes me sound so old. But no, people did not get it. They would come into the store and be like, I don't really get this. Is it old? Is it new? Why is it so expensive? <laughs> but they didn't really understand it. And now it's like, oh, it's, oh, it's upcycled. Oh, yeah, it's recycled. Oh, that's great. Oh, that's a great price for recycled. Upcycling wasn't even a term no, then. No, nothing at all. And it was really, you know, that's why I always say I'm the accidental environmentalist. I set out to make you look good. Saving the planet just happened. It was the most positive offshoot you could ever imagine. But it wasn't what was at the forefront in the initial... Tell me a little bit more about the journey for, of Preloved as it started. Like you started making these cute mini skirts, you know, out of the storefront, 1995. What were some of the kind of memorable milestones along the way where you think, ah, oh, like that was really exciting? Was it a new product skew? Was it a partnership? Was it, you know, someone with a huge, I mean, we wouldn't even have set a following then in terms no. of Instagram, like this is pre all that. Was it someone, was it a celebrity who discovered your brand? What are some of the exciting moments? Because Pre-Love just had some amazing it ha you know, it ha And it, when I look back on it, I, sometimes it's, I look back so fondly because exactly that it was such a different world. Um, you know, to think that I had a business before the internet, like that's even crazy. My kids get embarrassed when I say that. But it, like, it, we didn't, right? So if you wanted something unique and interesting, we, I mean, we didn't even have, like, Zara or any of those big chain stores in Canada yet. So if you wanted something different and interesting, you had to go to Queen Street West. That was the only place to shop. So the amount of foot traffic that was in that store, the amount of money that we were making out of one little store, Oh, it was just amazing. And it was so fun. And we were so connected with what our customers were, what they wanted. So, I mean, it was such a great time. And it was so fun to be involved in that beginning time of what I would say is, you know, green fashion. 
And then we expanded and we opened up in Montreal, which was amazing and exciting and a whoa learning curve because je ne parle pas français. So we had to sort of go through that. Um, and then we opened up in Vancouver. So we had Vancouver, and then we opened another shop here in, in Toronto, and we had on um, the Danforth. So at one point we had four pre-loved boutiques, which were all pre-loved. So that was like, that was crazy times. We were going through huge like numbers of volume and production at that and time. And where were you getting all the raw materials from? We would source all of it from Toronto. So it all comes from a rag house is what we sort of purchased them, which I always say is sort of like the oldest form of recycling these places. They're sorting secondhand clothing. Secondhand clothing, unsorted really has no value. I mean, sure, maybe like a certain garment you can sell on eBay or whatever, but you know, generally speaking, there's not a lot of value for it. But once it gets sorted, it becomes a commodity again. So it becomes a cotton shirt or it becomes cotton, you know, dress pants. And so then there becomes a secondary We're getting the grab bag. Absolutely. Of, of secondhand clothing. Absolutely. You didn't know what you were gonna get. No, and you just did what you could. We did, exactly. And then as we started to get more volume, we were able to sort of say, hey, can we just get wool sweaters? Can we get like 1,000 pounds? Can we get 2,000 pounds? And so we were able to start getting, you know, great, great volume of what we were buying. Did you realize that that would be such a source of raw material? Like now we know about the a massive amount of consumer waste that we generate through the textile industry. I think it's, you know, 12 pounds is the amount of, you know, textiles that the average Canadian or American puts in landfill. Yeah. Were you aware at the time that this would be such a gold mine of, uh, of raw material for your no. line? No, it was always ju just a way of creating unique clothing. That was all that was really behind us, to be honest. Like, like I say, the accidental environmentalists, which now we're, you know, it's at the forefront of what we do. But in those days, it really wasn't. It was, it was a way to create really unique clothing. By using vintage materials, you're guaranteed a one-of-a-kind piece of clothing because nobody else has that outfit. How did the reaction to pre-loved evolve over time? Did people start to get it? Yeah. Did you have a, a bigger following of people wanting to come and get custom pieces? How did it evolve? It just, yeah, over time, I think it just, people started to understand what we were doing. I mean, I, you know, I always say it's like more the merrier, right? More people that are doing what we do makes it more you know, for the masses and people understand what this is, understand the work that goes into it. So yeah, over time people started to understand what was happening and people became more aware of just, you know, manufacturing in general. Like I think years ago people didn't really pay attention to where their clothes were made or what that meant or anything like that. They were worried about pricing and things like that. And now I think we have such a educated consumer out there who's getting more and more educated every day, you know, every, you know, younger consumers every day are more more you know aware of things than we were what's it like seeing your industry that element of it of responsibility become more and more in the forefront of of the industry's consciousness are you proud of that i am I am. And it's very exciting. And it's really exciting to be sort of at the forefront of it. But at the same time, that comes with a little weight as well, because I'm expected, I feel sometimes I'm expected to know a lot. And I, that's why I always say, I don't. There are so many brands now, many brands that have started out with a sustainable focus. They want to make a change and they make in their brand that way. I'm the opposite. I just made a brand and it happened to make a change. So I'm, you know, trying to catch up, learn as much as I can. But it's exciting to be a pivotal part of it. 
Preloved has had some really exciting partnerships that seemed really, I think, probably unlikely when you just started, like in terms of working with Holt Renfrew, working with some of, with Roots Canada, your philanthropic partners with like the heart sweaters. Yes. How did some of those things come about? Were you just sort of stunned that they, they came into... The, the opportunity. Yeah, it, it, you know, and it's always sort of fun because when we work with these larger companies, they're always, it, it's so funny because, you know, I always think they kind of know everything and you're like, yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. Like, we, we don't just order more fabric. We can't, you know, like you have to understand that we have to design a certain way and this is, so it's kind of fun. I, you know, a lot of times we would work very closely with anthropology and so I'd go down to Philadelphia, work with their design team, come up with products, but I'd have to explain to them like, no, we, it, can't be, it has to be designed this way. It has to be that. And so it's, uh, but it's great. It's a great, Prelove's a great brand to collaborate with because of that sort of recycling angle. And to work with a brand like Roots was amazing and still is. We still work with them. Uh, you know, they're just so Canadian and there's, there's so much about sustainability and to be able to, and because they have such large distribution, we're able to really recycle a lot of sweaters through that project for sure. Well, it sounds like the ability to be nimble is baked into the brand. Like when you're working with not a consistent kind of sourcing material, you have to have that mindset of being quick on your feet and flexible and nimble. And your business has been very innovative in that nimbleness as well. Um, I'm thinking even specifically of the fire on, at the Queen Street store. Can yes. you tell us a little bit about that? Oh my God, that was hilarious. Well, hilarious is probably the wrong word. That was just like the most surreal, surreal thing. We had been in Vegas at a trade show the night before and uh, we'd gotten home and it was actually my birthday. That's how I always remember. It was my birthday. I woke up in the morning and my sister's calling and I keep seeing the phone and then my mom's, so I'm thinking, oh my God, everyone's just calling to wish me happy birthday. And I didn't want to answer the phone. And then my assistant called and I was like, why is she calling me this early? And she's like, turn on the TV. I turn on the TV and there it is on breakfast television. The, the first thing I see is pre-loved and the flames. I'm like, oh my gosh. So it was pretty crazy, pretty crazy. But you know, we thankfully nobody was, that, that fire took out an entire city block. It was a significant, you know, hit to the retail world on that strip. Absolutely, but nobody was hurt. Uh, you know, thankfully, and I'd say by the next morning, I have a huge staff. I'm like, okay, what are we gonna do here? So we decided right there and then we're gonna show in Fashion Week, because all we had were the samples that we had been at Vegas for. So I'd had the next collection. So we built a whole fashion show, it was amazing. It was such a great time, the mayor was there. We had, you know, standing ovation, it was great. Tell me about building collections, because I, I bet there's designers who are listening, and they're thinking, how do you build a collection without even really knowing far in advance what textiles you're going to be working with? Tell me a little bit about your design process that way. Well, I think that's what keeps pre-love so current and, and, and so relevant, is because we don't actually fixate too much on the textiles. Like, I think a lot of people that do upcycling really we really focus on fashion and we really focus on trends that are coming and that and we will design whatever is is going on and whatever trends in our boards and all that sort of stuff then we sort of go okay well how the heck can we make that we just sort of build it all up and then say okay well that's where we have to go how do we get there and we figure it out how to get there, as opposed to going, well, we've got lots of wool sweaters. Would it be nice if we did this, or a pillow? No, we focus on what do people want to buy, what's going on, what's trending, let's do that. that. Oh, I love that coat, that'd be amazing. Oh yeah, let's put that. Now I'd like to see it like this. And we build it like anybody else. So it's design first. Absolutely, it's always been design first. And I, you know, 
design first is something that the sustainable fashion world as a, as a, as a category has had to learn. What have you observed in the green fashion, sustainable fashion category of how it has evolved since pre I don't know, I, I am, I mean, I always say that it is, it's fashion and we, we, you know, we need to create clothing that people want to wear. Um, I think the fact that, you know, we're not gonna have consumers and consumption, I think that that's not the case. I think we always are gonna have that. That's what makes things work. There are people that need to eat and feed and all that. There's a chain that has to happen. So consumption and consumerism has to happen. But can we be conscious consumers? Can we be educated consumers? Yes. But at the end of the day, people have got to want to buy what you're making. Just because it's, I mean, it's supposed to say bamboo shmamboo. If it's ugly, no one's gonna wear it. So now you've just wasted everybody's time. So I think you still need to really focus on the fashion part of it and do it, you know, consciously on how you create it. Pre-loved has been a very important part of your journey, but it's not your only focus. You are, as, as you've said, the accidental environmentalist. You do DIY segments, you do other fashion segments. How has Pre-loved laid the foundation? And tell us about some of the exciting things that you're working on now. Well, I think after being in this space for 25 years, um, I have a really, I keep saying, I kind of know a lot now. <laughs> But I have a really different approach and I find, you know, waking up one day and finding yourself a pretty big player in the green space um, is, is a great place to be. But my approach is very different than a lot of people. How and so? I, well, I find there's a lot of anger in the green space and I, and I get it. Like, you know, the planet's, you know, it's in danger and you get people and politicians and things that are not listening to you and you're screaming from the top of your lungs. I understand where that frustration comes from. But for the masses and for the mass to make a change, yelling and anger and shaming and all of this isn't going to work. What works is education, humor, and I always say fun. If things are fun, people will do it. So I just have that as sort of my approach to how we can all make a difference. So with that approach, I'm now working with different brands and helping them strategize and helping them come up with ways that they can make the same message forward. And it's okay not to know everything. It's okay to not be perfect. Let's just make a step in the right direction. And I think a lot of people get afraid to do that because there's so much green shaming, right? Well, and there can be this perception of a hierarchy of greenness or sustainability yeah. where you know environmental impact is more important than where you source or you know totally. organic is more important than recycled how do you help brands navigate that well that's that's what i'm that's exactly what i'm trying to do and work with brands and you know is bring that attitude with like exactly there are all of this but at the end of the day what do you want to do what do you want your message to be let's focus on that because that's a positive thing you are recycling really good Okay, don't worry about where it's sourced. You're recycling. Let's stay focused on what we're doing and educate people on how much of a difference you can make by doing recycling. Or otherwise, you're locally sourcing. This is amazing. It can be so overwhelming, and I think that brands will just sort of either not do anything because they're too afraid or, um, or be quiet about it. And I think you just need to get it out there in a really positive, fun attitude. And like I said, you don't have to be perfect. You must be working with a lot of brands that are just sort of coming into their own 
starting with an ethos, much like you did. Like the sustainability fashion world, I think, has established brands that are trying to pivot and make this more a part of their ethos and values. And then there are brands that are just starting out and already have this baked in. Do you find you end up working with both of De those categories? Definitely, definitely. And being able to like relieve the pressure on the ones that have baked this all in, right? This is what we have to do. And I'm like, hey guys, ease up. Like this is fun. It's still fashion. You know, this um, holiday season I've partnered with um, well.ca, which has got Canada's largest selection of wellness products. And I love working with them. I mean, that's totally different from me, right? There's beauty, there's makeup, there's health and wellness. They also, of course, carry pre-love, so there's fashion. And it's such a fun working with this group. And that's all in an e-commerce section. And we just work together to come up with product that could be in their um, holiday shop uh, and just focusing on cu curating it. So it makes it very easy for someone to sustainably shop. Well, and I think that's really innovative because that shows a real cohesiveness with fashion and beauty yeah. and wellness and how those three seemingly desperate but not actually industries are working together. Absolutely. And to be able to go to one place and just sort of know, okay, they've done a lot of work for me. So pretty much everything I'm looking at here has got a story. This is great. What is the story here? Oh, I love that idea. Oh, what's the story here? What's this? And so it's just a great platform to be able to shop. Has your accidental environmentalism spread into areas of your life beyond fashion? It has, for sure, absolutely. Like, you know, do we looked at, I mean, definitely recycling is always part of it. You know, that's just in my, you know, my coaches, like any of my furniture has always been upcycling and recycling and things like that. But definitely, you know, just in your home and, you know, and especially with children, right? You've got, I mean, my guys aren't that little anymore, but they, they know all about it. They learn it at school and things like that, for sure. What are some of the other ways that people can, you know, maintain the, the excitement and the spontaneity of fashion without, as you were talking about a minute ago, contributing to like overconsumption or like just filling their home with stuff. Do you have any other sort of like ideas as how people can do that? Absolutely. There's so many different ways of, oh my God, John, I've done so many segments on this. But <laughs> I mean, my new favorite is renting. I don't know what took me so long to get into renting. So I'm working with uh, Fitzroy Rentals um, and it's amazing. So fun. And I was saying, it's not even about the cost or being less expensive or more. I just, I need, a, I need an experience. And that's what that's like. You go there and it's like, they help you find what you need. You got a dress, you wear it. Everyone says, I love it, I love it, I love it. And then you give it back. It's not in your closet. It's not, you know, I love it. It was so great. Well, and Rent the Runway in the States yes. has done gangbusters. They're uh, ready to wear collections, their subscription. They're predicting to outpace their special events category. I saw another rental uh, company startup that was for maternity wear. Amazing. That makes so much sense. So much sense. What is it about the fashion industry that keeps you fired up these days? I don't know. I just think it's always changing. I th I'm sure a lot of industries are like that, but I find that the fashion industry is constantly changing. Like, uh, you know, if it's going to be a retail model or a wholesale model or e-com or this or renting, and there's just so many different things that are happening and changing. And it's sort of, you know, my mantra of what I, you know, live my business by and my life by. And I always say, I think I, um, think I heard it in the Bob Dylan song or saw it on a bathroom wall. But if you are not busy growing, you are busy dying. And to me, I find fashion is like that. You're constantly growing, just constantly turning and turning and turning and evolving. Julia, thank you so much for being here. I can't wait to see how 
you, your accidental environmentalism, <laughs> tongue-tied today, and pre-love continue to grow in 2020. Thank you so Thank much you for Thank you so being much for having me. This is so amazing. Where can people follow along if they want to see some of the exciting work you're doing or maybe pick up a little pre-love dip? At pre-love, like, pre-love Jewels, you could follow me there, The Life by Jewels, and then obviously uh, getprelove.com. Love it. You can follow along at Fashion Talks at Fashion Talks Pod. You can follow me at This Is Donna B. Thank you to CAFA, the Canadian Arts and Fashion Awards, our producing partner in this podcast. Thank you to Cadillac Fairview for hosting us at the Toronto Eaton Centre. Until next time, I'm Donna Bishop, and this is Fashion Talks. Happy New Year.